Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, and we are in a series right now called From Now to Forever. And as we move into this holiday season, uh, we recognize that from now into forever is all we ever have, right? And so we are gathering together to have a conversation about how do we recognize that and then how do we live in light of that? Now, as we are in this holiday season, you let me know if uh, this is true in your life. Maybe you don't care about this. I'm someone who does a lot, right? That this idea of which holiday are we celebrating right now can be a place of a little bit of like conflict and tension, okay? There is a running uh, joke, fight, whatever you want to call it with me and my sister uh, that uh, of, as to when you begin to celebrate the holiday season and Christmas specifically. If you were at my house on Thanksgiving and, and when we were eating pie and enjoying dessert, you would have seen my sister finishing her pumpkin pie, taking the last bite, very aggressively putting her fork down, looking at me in the eyes and saying, now it's Christmas, right? <laughs> That's some of us, right? Any, any in here that are like that? All right. And then there's some others of us that truly love Jesus and want to celebrate him as much as we can. <laughs> mostly joking, mostly. Um, and I want to celebrate as long as I can. So like November, you know, that's my stuff's up. Lights and, and everything, trees up already happening. And so, but I don't know if, it, it, does anyone have that conflict? Like we have this literal conflict of timing, right? Of time. What's the right time to do this thing? Now, timing can, can be a source of conflict, not just in the holiday seasons. I want to ask a question. And what I'm going to ask, right, is you do everything you can when you hear this question to not, if there's someone here with you or you know somebody, to not like side-eye them when you hear the question, right? You ready? <laughs> How are you at being on time? Some of you are not following directions, right? Right now. Some of you are not following directions, okay? <laughs> uh, there's some, uh, some that are really good at being on time, and isn't this, again, a source of conflict in relationship when you're, uh, like, friends with someone, this is your spouse, this is, this is someone you spend a lot of time with, and you have different kind of, like, like, judgment calls on what on time looks like, Right? I want to have a conversation about this today, and I promise I'm not trying to start some fights, actually. So here's what I want to do. Actually, what I want to have a conversation about is this idea of time. If we have conflict around what being on time means, it generally means for us that, like the literal time, right? But in the Greek language, there are actually multiple words for this idea, this concept that we know of time. The first of which is this word chronos. And chronos refers to the kind of time that we measure by the ticking clock. It's the time we use as we try to meet deadlines, make it to appointments, or go to bed at a decent hour. We cite it in numbers, 8.45 a.m., 4.15 p.m., and one day of chronos time is exactly 24 hours long, right? Some of us are really good at keeping chronos time. Others, not so much, Right? Then there's also in the Greek language this concept of kairos time. And kairos time, on the other hand, is lived or experienced time. 
Kairos has a spiritual implication, a sense of significance. It represents time in the moment, giving everything into that moment and receiving everything that it has to offer. On Kairos time, you are truly present, not rushing toward the next thing. This still small moment cannot be measured in seconds, minutes, or hours. It is measured in depth and response. Some of us are really good at keeping Kairos time. And what we're, our calling is, is to not elevate one above the other, is that we are to be good stewards of all that we are given, right? But this is the source of the conflict, right? Some of us really elevate one or, or the other, or, or maybe we're just good at one or the other. But what I know that I know is that we as Christ followers are to be good stewards of the time that we are given, both Kronos and Kairos. And when we look to the life of Jesus, we see someone, though he only lived 33 years of Kronos time, his Kairos time cannot be measured, right? And so we want to be people that live into every single moment that we are given, every single one, right? Now, how do we do that? We want to squeeze all the depth, all the meaning, all the purpose out of each moment. 1 John 2.6 gives us this command. Whoever claims to live in him, in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. And if Jesus lived into both, squeeze all the meaning out of his chronos and kairos time, then our job is to look to his life and we look over and over and over again. That's what we do when we gather here as a community. And we aim to humbly learn the way of Jesus and seek to apply it to this one life that we have been given. So today, what I want to do is focus on a Jesus story together, one that gives us a glimpse into how Jesus lived with the sort of depth and presence that is easy to miss, but it's the sort of depth and presence that I know that we all long for. We want, we desire to know that I, I experienced all that this moment had to offer. So we look to a story in John chapter 6, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It says this, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Jesus is healing people, word is spreading, and they're gathering and following after him. And you ha we have to see how significant that is because all messages at this point is word of mouth. Right? So it had to be super significant what Jesus was doing for people to leave what they were doing to come and follow and find him. It says this, Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Jesus sees the practical need. He sees all these people have traveled a long distance and they are literally hungry. So he turns to Philip and says, where can we go buy some bread? Let's buy these people some food. And Philip, and it says this, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, I love this, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them, exclamation points, right? Translation, Jesus, it can't be done, 
right? Jesus, I, I love the little, little just side note in the story. Imagine yourself following Jesus, and, and maybe the word test isn't, isn't the most accurate one here. Imagine that Jesus is going to continually create situations where your brokenness just comes right to the surface, right? And so the stress and the anxiety, even though the author told us several times already, Jesus is performing miracles, Jesus is performing miracles, people are seeing it, word is getting out, Jesus is performing miracles, yet in this circumstance, worry happens, and the message is we can't do it. But then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Again, see, have you ever been in a place where you're like, you have something to share, but you're not sure if it's like dumb or not? <laughs> like, like, you're like, I, I don't know if I want to say this or not, but I think it might matter, but I, I'm not sure. It says he spoke up and he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. He says it, but then he qualifies the statement with, but what good is that with this huge crowd? So I'm going to say this thing that I think matters, but then like, I kind of think it doesn't matter, right? Yet Jesus' response is everything. This is shared and he says, tell everyone to sit down. The story tells us, so they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000, right? We're talking tens of thousands of people here. And Jesus says, tell all of them to sit down. It's really important that we see what's going on here in this story. And then Jesus took the loaves, comma, gave thanks to God, comma, and distributed them to the people, period. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all eat, ate as much as they wanted. Friends, when we are reading the Bible, it's so important to pause and recognize that so much can be contained in some sentences. There is a lot of chronos time that is contained in this one little sentence that if you're not careful, you just read by it and you don't really see it. Jesus took the loaves. He took one kind of like this. And it says that he gave thanks to God. Now, I want you to imagine this, okay? I want you to imagine that there's Let's just say there's, there's probably a good 15,000 people when we've got women and children and men all the above there. But let's just say, conservatively, we've got 10,000 people. And those people are hungry. And they see a little bit of food with Jesus and his disciples. And they're wondering where they're going to eat. And this man that they came to see has all of them sit down. And there's this kind of like spirit in the, in the place that says something's about to happen. Right? And then... Jesus starts to give thanks for this bread, right? Now, let's, let's pivot over to uh, something we, most of us just experienced, which is Thanksgiving, right? I want you to imagine that you have a large family, and I want you to imagine there's 25 or so people that are hanging out and ready to eat. I don't know about you, but I prepped for Thanksgiving. When I say I prepped for Thanksgiving, I mean I didn't eat, right? I was ready. I prepped, right? I prepped to, ready to eat. Now, I want you to imagine you're in a home where the, the kitchen, the doors are closed, and all there is is this expectation to come of what this meal would be. You're excited to eat. And at some point, it's clear that we're going to eat a meal, and everyone, the 25 of us are gathered, and we come into a room, and we all grab hands, and we are in a circle, and, we, and it, then you look up, and the only thing that's there is this bread, like, and you're looking around and you're like, 
Well, Uncle Joe ate like five of those, so I don't like, where's the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and the turkey and the, like cranberry and all the good stuff. And you are very aware that this is not gonna meet the need. That's not gonna do it. Yet Jesus says, everybody sit down. We're giving thanks for this. See, this is a moment that is so easily missed. This little bit, this seemingly insignificant amount of food, um, amount of provision from God requires thanks and gratitude. And before he ever performs the miracle, I, I, again, remember the comma, right? Actually, I looked up the word comma, by the way, just to clarify, just so we're all on the same page. The word comma literally means a punctuation mark used especially as a mark of separation within the sentence. And when the story tells us that he gave thanks to God, he gave thanks to God. So like in my family, we have this family uh, prayer that we do before meals, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Right? Anyone have like a family one? And translation is, I want to be spooning the food towards my mouth as I say this. Like I, I want this to happen really quickly because I am hungry, right? I don't think that's the sort of prayer that Jesus offered in this moment. I think he sat everyone down. I think he was not worried about Kronos time. And he said, we're going to squeeze every bit of Kairos time out of this moment that we can. And we're going to give heartfelt the depth of gratitude, thanks for this bread. And you know what else I think? I think it was incredibly awkward. I think the people looked and the disciples looked and they saw this and they were like, why are we doing this? What's the point here? And Jesus gave thanks for this bread and the people lined up and there was enough for everyone to eat their fill. And you would think that this is the miracle, right? You would think that this is the end of the story, but it's not. Far from it, actually. John chapter 6, verse 12 says this, After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Every little bit still matters to him. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from them the five barley loaves. Our author still wants us to remember that we started with just a little bit, right? Really important to see that detail. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Again, cannot miss this inside of our story. Jesus multiplies the bread, fills their bellies, and the people's response is, this is who we've been expecting. And the thing about when you expect someone is that comes with like literal expectations, right? They are expecting this Jesus to do something. They're not wondering what he will do. They're saying, I have an expectation as to what this man is supposed to, what this prophet is supposed to do, and he is supposed to do that, and they're excited about this. And this is the part of the story that if you miss it, it's, it gets odd right here. In response to all of this, this, what I would think would be a celebratory moment, it says, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, to meet their expectations for what he is here to do, 
he slipped away into the hills by himself. What? Does that seem, does that seem odd to you? Does that seem like it doesn't fit inside of the story? We don't hear why at the beginning. And the story tells us that the disciples wait for Jesus to return. And when he doesn't, they choose to cross the lake by boat. And Jesus crosses too. And, and some of us remember, how does he cross the lake? He, he walks on water. But we're just one miracle at a time here, okay? Right, we're just going to talk about one. Eventually, as they cross, the crowds catch up on the other side. And Jesus has something to say to them when they do. John 6, 26 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You just see the, the bread that's in front of you, but there is a depth to which I am doing and I'm here to, to accomplish that you are not seeing right now. And I'm inviting you into seeing that. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man, that I can give you. He says, you aren't content with just me. You just want what I give you. And the thing about us as humans is we have this tendency when we are given something as a blessing, our response isn't, to do what Jesus did, which is to take all the moments necessary to be grateful for this provision, it's to then say, more? I want some more. And Jesus recognizes that. And he's saying, if you're not able to stop and be grateful for this bread, then you're missing, you're missing all of it. He later identifies himself as living bread, as literally the bread of life. And saying, I am the one that will sustain you. Jesus is teaching us that gratitude is the doorway into this depth of life that we're all searching for. One of my favorite theologians, Thomas Merton, talks a lot about gratitude. And he says this, there is no neutrality between gratitude and ingratitude. Those who are not grateful soon begin to complain about everything. Right? He's saying there's two categories. There's those that are searching out ways to be grateful for what they have, for what's been provided for them, and those over here that are on a trajectory that are choosing to not be grateful, and, and over here you end up with just a whole bunch of expectations. Isn't that so often what, what wrecks us in relationship is unspoken or unmet expectations? We don't know how to manage these together, but we sure carry them, don't we? We have expectations on how Jesus will act in our lives. We have expectations on how others will act in our lives. And when those expectations aren't met, it begins to build kind of a bitterness in us, right? And I don't know if you're anything like me, but there have absolutely been times in my life when I choose to withhold my gratitude. And let's just start here. I always like to, to pivot the conversation because we are given these teachings for this world right here so that we can live lives of love in community together. So this is where we practice this. This isn't just information we're supposed to gather in our minds. We're supposed to put it to practice in our lives. And here's the thing. When we stop, when we stop being 
grateful. It's so easy to start gaining expectations specifically in relationships with one another. And so we start focusing on the bread itself or the lack thereof. And doing this, allowing our focus to go in that direction shifts our heart and our attention from the bringer of the bread to the bread itself. See, it's so easy to to get focused on things that don't matter in this life. The Bible tells us, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Do we understand, friends, do, do we together understand how large of an ask that is? To do the work of giving gratitude in every circumstance, to to do the work to find that which we could be grateful for in every circumstance. I know that there's many of us here today that are going through seasons of life that it feels like there's little if nothing to be grateful for. It feels like that, yet Jesus is teaching us. He sees that, he recognizes that, he honors that, but then he says, if you will do the work, if you give your time and your heart and go to the depths of this gratitude, if you'll find there's something down there that in that place of just saying thank you for this bread, right? This, just this small blessing, just this. There's something there that's transformative. There's something there that opens your heart. There's something there that, that opens your mind and your life and your actions to what Jesus is doing that allows you to deeper see what he's doing so that you don't do what our friends did in this story, which is just see the surface. And this is, this is the story across the entire Bible. The Israelites long to be rescued out of Egypt. And so God meets their need and he takes them out into the wilderness. And what does he provide for them but bread, but manna? And how much? Enough just for the day. But again, like so many of us, just enough for the day is not enough for them. So they start to gather too much and it molds. And there's, again, there's a continual teaching that God is saying, would you just rely on me? Would you trust me? Will you begin with just what I've given you? And so for so many of us, we want the security of tomorrow's bread now. At the end of the day, that's how we're determining whether God is truly good or not. Our expectations. How is that working for you? Jesus is teaching us another way, a way of gratitude. And gratitude is a doorway into receiving everything that each moment has to offer. I mentioned Thomas Merton earlier. He has more to say on gratitude. He says this, Gratitude is more than a mental exercise, more than a formula of words. We cannot be satisfied to make a mental note of things which God has done for us and then simply thank him for favors received as if we can just send God a little thank you note, the creator of the universe, for the things that he's given us. But how often is, is our good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, Right? We don't go to the depth of thanks. Merton goes on to say, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us, and he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces for him. And this is where it turns practical. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, 
is constantly awakening to doom wonder and to praise of the goodness of God for the grateful man knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. So much depth to what was just shared there. Let's unpack it a little bit. First of this, gratitude takes nothing for granted. So to enter into the depths of gratitude requires us to both set down our expectations, but first you have to actually become aware of them, right? And so many of us have expectations and desires that are running beneath the surface. I I feel like almost every single week that I preach, I talk about the command of the New Testament to take every thought captive. This idea that we have thoughts and we have desires that are running underneath the surface that are governing us, that are leading us, that are guiding us. And our job, one of our main jobs as Christ followers so that we can fulfill our purpose as ambassadors of Christ is to identify those. And to do so, you have to, be, uh, you have to exhibit gratitude, but you have to recognize the areas, the expectations that are keeping you from that. So you literally have to set them down. What if, now, now let's go back to relationships here. To be truly grateful for someone, how, how often do we keep a ledger, keep a list of someone? How many times they haven't met our expectations? And most of our energy, a lot of our energy goes to making sure they'll never hurt us again. Now, I want to be clear, there are times where we absolutely should keep that. But in relationships, it's so easy to to not live centered on grace and compassion and forgiveness and lay down our expectations. Gratitude takes nothing for granted. And this is my favorite concept. Gratitude is never unresponsive. Being grateful in your heart is not fully being grateful. It requires a response. Now, whether that that response comes in prayer, it actually comes audibly. Sometimes it comes physically, literally serving someone else. It can show up in a lot of different ways, ways, but it requires a response. And I know that so many of us, you have, if if we were to just say, your, your, your homework today is to identify some areas that you should be grateful for, that you actually are grateful for, a guarantee you would find a lot of them. And specifically when it comes to relationships in your life, the question would be, have you shared it? I know this. I can think of the, the times in my life when someone has wholeheartedly, Kairos time, looked me in my, my eyes and said, thank you. And that That thank you came from the depth of their soul. I remember every single one. It mattered to me. It was encouraging to me. But the reason I can remember them is because I think like a lot of us, they only, they happen pretty infrequently, right? What would it look like for a community to to actually put this into practice and say, we're we're going to be willing to at times set down our chronos time and give a depth of gratitude and actually express it, not be unresponsive. We're going to respond. But here's the thing. Often it's awkward, right? You have to risk kind of ruining the moment that's happening right now. You have to, you have to sit everybody down and say the unsaid. 
Isn't that awkward at times? Yet, it's everything. It's everything. What would it look like for you to ask the Holy Spirit to say, who needs to hear my words, to see my actions in the most heartfelt way soon? Just one or two people. Maybe I've never literally expressed thanks or gratitude for what they bring, their presence in my life. And what would it look like to empower them and encourage them in that way to share that? Gratitude takes nothing for granted. Gratitude is never unresponsive. And gratitude is constantly awakening to new wonder. It is always on the lookout for some way that God is meeting and providing our needs for our needs. It's just, it's recognizing I don't see them all, but I can keep looking and I'm going to keep finding them. And I'm going to keep meeting the God that is good. For those that are grateful, know that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. We're going to spend some time in this new year in a series on prayer, friends, because it is so important. Don't miss this. Not by hearsay, but by experience. It is easy in this world to live off of the nuggets of someone else's experience with God. We have so much access to testimony. Right? And what can happen in this Christian life is that you hear the testimony of someone else's life with God, how God has met their needs, and you get a little nibble of the meal that you're after, but never actually have your own experience with God, never spend the time with him specifically in prayer to identify, to ask him to illuminate how he's moving in your life. And then moving that, and then our job as Christians is to identify that, be grateful for that, and then share the testimony of that. See, you see how that cycle works? If we're all doing that work, not by hearsay. Now, the hearsay is awesome because it's encouraging. It's encouraging that God's continually moving. And when I'm not seeing it right now all the way, it's encouraging to hear that he's moving in your life. And sometimes that helps me to go deeper into my own life. But if you're just sitting on the sidelines and all you're doing is listening to the hearsay of what God's doing and never experiencing it yourself, never moving into that, at times, awkward, uncomfortable space, well, then I, I, I don't know if gratitude is what's being achieved. I wonder how our wants and desires might change if we truly lived as Jesus did, as people who took the time and experienced all of the blessings around us with the same depth of gratitude that he did. How much would it slow you down? How much would it require you to say no to a bunch of good things so that you could say yes to the great things that God's called you to? We begin by living in this moment and expressing our gratitude for this bread, for what's right in front of you. We don't wait for every single need to be met. We don't withhold our gratitude. We begin here. Jesus said we're grateful for this bread. We're going to, today, receive communion together. Thank you guys for giving this when you came in. And if you don't have one, you can raise your hand and, and somebody can bring one to you. There's a couple up here. There we go. They're bringing them. I want you to think about this. There's some up here. When just before Jesus' crucifixion, 
he and the disciples gathered together for a meal. And Jesus, knowing what was to come, Jesus, knowing that he soon would die, chose in that moment with Judas in the room, with one that would betray him in the room. And yet he said in this moment, in this time, in this dark place, there is enough to stop and give thanks for. So around that table, he broke bread and he said, this is my body. This, is, this symbolizes my body broken for you. And so we together, we eat of the bread in remembrance of Jesus to say thanks. So we eat together. And then later on, he took the cup. Again, you can't miss this, knowing what would come. Knowing. The Bible tells us that all things were created through Christ. Knowing that his own creation would turn on the creator, would crucify him, nail him to a cross. That his blood would be shed and that blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And in that place, he said, we drink of the cups of the cup in remembrance of this. So we do it today to say thanks. <clears throat> Jesus said, this is enough. There's enough here to be grateful for. Friends, I pray that today, my hope is that today you leave here with, with a Holy Spirit conviction that you have, you have your measure of bread to be grateful for. I pray that there is a there's a Holy Spirit conviction that you would get with your God, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to inform you, to guide you into whatever response should look like as soon as you identify that. And I pray that that's not just a today thing that happens, but one that would continue. What would it look like to be a people known for their gratitude? What would it look like to be a people that were really aware and careful even of their expectations of one another and of our community? And that we're just rooted in the idea of gratitude. That said, there is, there is a depth to be followed here. I'm going to spend as much time here as needed because I'm trusting Jesus. You have something for me there. This smallness, these little moments. Little, just even right now, my, my littlest one woke up sick today. I'm so grateful that we live in a time where we have, like, there's medicine and there's things. Like, that's something that I can spend. I can spend the rest of my day on my knees just grateful for that. How many of those, how many of this bread are there in your life that require some attention? And could you, could you trust the God of the universe that sees your unmet expectations? He sees them. But he says, there's, I have something for you here if you'll just spend time in gratitude. So let me pray for us as we spend some time in worship searching for him. Can you close your eyes with me? <sighs> Heavenly Father, I'm reminded the Psalms literally tell us 
to enter your gates, but to do so with thanksgiving and gratitude. That literally gratitude is the password in. That we enter into your presence. So often I get so distracted by my own expectations, even of you, that I miss the invitation. May we risk, may we be courageous, may May we risk awkwardness to look someone in the eyes and say, I love you, I see you, I'm thankful for you. May this be an invitation. May you teach us how to live into the depth of all the moments that we are given. Father, we, lo- we thank you for this moment, for all it has to offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah. 